Hello, Potato Beach. Hello, Adam. <laughs> and that's us, your hosts of this podcast. Adam and Potato Beach taking the world again by storm. You love us. We're the best. Well, some of you do. Anyways, this is Basic Snitches. Hi. Hello. What are you doing? What are you drinking? I am drinking Menage a Trois Silk Red Blend. Housework of three. We already talked about that in the past episode. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm drinking tonight. (laughs) I'm drinking one of my Wink wines, and it's better than the last one I was drinking on this podcast. I, you said that was a Sauvignon Blanc, and I want it. No, the last one I was drinking on this podcast was another wine that was white and not very good, and I was drinking it with that peach seltzer. That Sauvignon Blanc. I must find again because it was very delicious. It sounds amazing. And I love South Blanc. This whole week I've had to drink every day. That makes me sound like an alcoholic. I don't care. You guys have been listening to 52 of these episodes or something like that. Get used to it. Okay. We like alcohol. I braved the grocery store earlier this week. The last time I had Stephanie bring me groceries, I was like, get me crack and rum. That's my rum of choice. Send it to our P.O. box at Tara's house. Um, And she was like, what size do you want? I was like the biggest one. I don't fucking care. So she came in and it was this hulking, gigantic bottle. I was like, whoa, that's the biggest one. She's like, yeah, it was $30. I was like, that was $30. So I was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to get the biggest thing of gin and the biggest thing of whiskey too. And I done did it because I was like, if I'm going to go out into the world and have to deal with these motherfucking people, I am going to get the stock up of all the alcohol that I can possibly need. Now I'm set. I have all this gin. Now I'm going to like use the rest of my gin. Gin goes really well with orange pop. FYI. In other news, we're admitting to our alcoholism. It's don't fine. Care. Don't they, tell our they've parents. Known. They've heard. They, my, parents <laughs> gave, my parents gave me this. My parents gave me my alcoholism. <laughs> yeah. My, are you kidding me? I go over to my parents' house and I've only had one boyfriend ever that I introduced to my parents. He was like, I'll have a martini. And on the way home, he could not speak English. <laughs> I took that martini to my mom last Sunday. That this... Doing God's work. So enough about our alcoholism. This is basic snitches. That, what, what do you mean enough about it? What are we going to talk about for the next fucking hour? <laughs> we're... Today we're talking about chapter 14, Snape's Grudge. That fucker's what Grudge. What ha- okay. What happened in the last chapter? So in chapter 13, there was a fucking party and it was great. But also we have a winner and a loser. Actually, we have a winner and a handful of losers. Our winner is Harry. No shit. I mean, who else is going to win this fucking chapter? Let's be clear. Loser. Those fucking four dicks. Crab and Goyle and Malfoy and Flint trying to be fucking Dementor. I hope they got lots of detention because they suck. <laughs> Those fucking four dicks is what Tara had for lunch. I had a cheeseburger for lunch. Okay. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. As I'm filling this wine glass, my sippy cup that Adam is very jealous of, I'm filling it to the top. So this is like three glasses of wine. They know. They've been new at this point. They know how these episodes tend to go. They're used to the pattern. <laughs> You're used to my bullshit. I know. Read my thing. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read this. 
thing. Thing. It's a thing. Get him, bro. We- I'm sorry, my computer's being slow. Oh, this again. Okay, <laughs> I'll wait. I'll wait five minutes. Still in the email, it says potato bench. <laughs> Anna Bowers wants to record with you. Yes, Summary. that's the other email that I sent. <laughs> I'm gonna get this over here so I can see you. Adam sent me this summary. Here we go. Well, I love your inner monologue. <laughs> it's really good. Well, you know me. I'm known for my inner monologues. No, I'm just known for being a pain in the ass. Okay, chapter 14. <laughs> Snape's grudge. A.K.A. some fucker I hate grudge. Why is it that I'm always the one that gets to write the long summary on the long chapters? Rigamores. It was Rigamores, Who's more? Who that? That's a, it's, you, you'll, you get it if you get it. Go on. Yeah. Luckily, last chapter was pretty great. They won the Quidditch match. Ron didn't get murdered. I mean, is that a good thing? Hopefully this chapter will live up to that. Spoiler alert, it doesn't. Ron is malfoying it up in some fulfillment of get of being able to tell people about his encounter with Black. Meanwhile, Cadogan is fired, thank god, and Neville is in deep shit. Aww. At breakfast, when he is dealing with his howler and Hedwig eats his cornflakes, Harry sees that he has a tea invitation from Hagrid. Aww. When they go down to see Hagrid getting ready for his hearing, they learn that Hagrid called them down to stop telling them to stop being fucking rude to Hermione, since Hermione is the only one who was being a good friend despite being overwhelmed with schoolwork. When Hagrid, another Hogsmeade trip is coming up, and Hermione actually says that if Harry uses the passage, she's gonna tell Micah. Harry makes probably not the best decision and goes anyway with his invisibility cloak. And after a quick run in with Neville and Snape, eventually he makes it to Zonko's and the post office, and then eventually to go look at the Shrieking Shack. While they do, Draco and his goonies come to bully Ron. And while Ron has kind of had this coming the past few chapters, Harry's there to fling shit at the three of them. However, the cloak gets pulled off a bit, revealing Harry's disembodied head. Harry runs back to the castle, leaving the cloak in the passageway before getting caught by Snape, who then interrogates him. But instead of trying to discipline Harry like a normal teacher, he uses this as an opportunity to talk shit about his dad, then asks him to turn out his pockets. He grabs the parchment that is the Marauder's map and uses a revealing spell which the map uses to insult Snape pretty accurately down to the fact that he a greasy bitch. Instead of getting angry at Harry though, he calls Lupin through the flu network who shows up and talks about the manufacturer of the map. As if Lupin would know? Oh, but he does know and he plays it cool. And taking the map with him and excusing Harry and Ron, who just showed up out of breath and not suspicious at all, to tell Snape that he gave him all that Zonko stuff. This begs the question, how did Draco beat Ron back to the castle so far in advance? Anyway, Lupin confiscates the map and scolds the boys, doing a better job at disciplining them, but does not give them detention or anything, which is kind of wrong, but kind of cool, which is also the new slogan for Tara. Fucking rude. Okay. No. (laughs) You're not done. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Norbert chapter of book three. Thank God for Quince, Hagrid, and Lupin. Agree. 
you were embellished a little bit. I'm sorry. Did you embellish on the last chapter at all? I, I can't did, imagine. But I admitted when I embellished. I didn't say I didn't embellish. I was just doing the thing. I know. That's the problem. <laughs> well, you, you misrepresented my work. If it wasn't funny, I came up with it. Okay? Adam's the funny one. And there you go. There you go. Okay. So, like, you odd, and sometimes I'm like, bitch, I did not say aw there. I mean, I think that they know that's who I am. They know, because th- our listeners love me. Hi, listeners. You're you probably love me? right. The Most of the listeners are probably Team Tara, and I'm just the other one. <laughs> With you, the funny one, it's fine. Anyways, we open up this book, this chapter. What? What What are you saying? (laughs) I said, I fucking hate this guy. Which one? We aren't at the Snape part yet, bitch. The chapter is called Snape's Grudge. I was just talking about how I hate him because he's so. Oh, I get it. We're going to get into it, I'm sure, a lot in the future. Do you want to get out of your system right now? Do you want to talk about how much? No, let's, let's do this the right way. Okay. Don't waste my time later by talking for 10 minutes about how much you hate Snape, okay? Pinky swear. Okay, here it is. This is my pinky, bitch. Here it is. Okay, good. <laughs> That's all we Ready? can do because we can't see Scoop each other. It. Scoop it. Scoop pinky. that pinky. <laughs> good. Very good. <laughs> You're going to be concise when you talk about how much you hate Snape. We got it. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm best at. Okay, so at the beginning of this chapter... They are still talking about the whole Sirius Black thing. This is where we get a little bit of kind of the sleuthing and detective work. And I don't remember who it was because I didn't write this down. But someone says something along the lines of, why didn't he just kill Ron? Oh, um, it's right here in front of me. Well, Harry and Ron are having the conversation. And then Ron's like, why did he run? It says Harry's been wondering the same thing. Why had Black, who had got the wrong bed, not silenced Ron and proceeded to Harry? Black had proved 12 years ago that he didn't mind murdering innocent people. And this time he had been facing five unarmed boys, four of whom were asleep. Yeah. It was Harry and Ron having the conversation. And we actually don't get a lot of that (laughs) in this book. I've talked about previously that this particular book is more adventure than mystery. And I think Chamber of Secrets was more of a mystery. And even really, so was Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. Sorcerer's Stone. Agreed. So like that little moment where they kind of like try to talk through it and get a little bit further in kind of the true mysterious aspects behind who Sirius really is and who Scabbers really is and who Lupin really is, you know? Yeah. We also get a little bit about some of the security measures changing oh in my the castle. God. The fucking trolls. Uh, yes, which were those really the best option that you could have? Everyone's uncomfortable with trolls, right? Yeah. But the fat I mean, lady's back. Fat lady is back. Thank God. Gwen is back, baby. Yes. Um, also, I love that Flitwick is teaching the doors of the That's the other castle. thing I've written down. I love Flitwick so much. Yes. He's great. Those are the two main things I had in this moment are the trolls and then Flitwick teaching the doors. Of course, that's a cute moment for Flitwick. The trolls in my mind, and I can't remember the name. It was goblins or something, but it reminds me of Valentine's Day. Goblins are a Gringotts. Yeah. What are the things from Valentine's Day? I forget. I don't know. I don't but I always think of the trolls from the first book 
Like, no one wants trolls. Stupid Quirrell runs in and he's like, oh my god, there's a troll in the dungeon. And everyone freaks out. And now suddenly we're using trolls for security measures. This These is a were problem. Different types of trolls, weren't they? They're they're security trolls. Security trolls. What security the fuck does that mean? Different. They're they're busy talking about the size of their clubs. Yeah, sounds like a frat party to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, these trolls had to go through like certification and stuff. Probably, I would hope so, because like, why else <laughs> are you going to use these? Like, security measures in the magic world are not great. Like, uh. uh Say that again in bold. Call up Simply Safe. Also, Simply Safe sponsor us because <laughs> I need to cancel ADT because I do not condone ADT. This is a bad review for ADT. Don't do it. Okay, but something <laughs> like like Dementors. Now these motherfuckers. Interesting. Well. This is also where Rondo is indulging in the all of, all of the attention. And that's why I said in my thing that it's a little bit like he's Malfoying it up because it does remind me of the incident that Malfoy had with Buckbeak. I think it's amusing whenever Ron gets to be the center of attention and how instead of just kind of enjoying it like a person would, he lays it on so thick. And sure, like he's one of a hundred children in his goddamn family. That's a good point. For me, not something like this. Like, if I did something really, really great. Yes. Like, like it, the attention Harry yeah. gets from the last game. Right. Well, and we get to Fine. see Ron get to do that later on in the series, too. He has positive attention. Like, it's it's this whole, like, negative versus positive focus. Poor Harry. Like, he... I mean, that's this whole goddamn series is where the focus on Harry is literally all across the board. Even when they get this letter from Hagrid, where he's like, oh, I bet he wants to hear about Sirius Black. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's other things in between now and then that I want to kind of point out. But when they get there and Hagrid's like, bitch, I done knew. I'm a teacher now. I got all the knowledge I need. I don't need it from your dumb ass. He doesn't actually give a shit. Thanks. Bye. Also, the fact that he gets this letter via Owlpost that is like this makes me feel like it's probably a little bit different. It's not just like, Hey, I want to learn about this. That that's me reading into it. Mm -hmm. Obviously. Oh no, I see that. This whole Hagrid moment. And obviously winner and loser is your thing. But if I were in your shoes, everything about Hagrid in this chapter, I absolutely fucking love before we get there though. First of all, Neville is going fucking through it. I feel bad for him. <laughs> I don't know if anyone if you knew this, but Neville is my favorite character. But no, when you go back through it. Who's your least favorite character, Peach? Anyway, but like, if you were to go through the series, the beginning of the series, and kind of like give Neville this focus, he has some moments in the first book and not as much in the second book. But this book, he doesn't get to do anything except for fuck up. And this is a big fuck up. This is hard. If you go back and look at this, and obviously Sirius Black is not there to kill Harry, so it's good. It's fine because he's the, you know, hero of the book. So glad Sirius isn't there to murder him. He was just trying to get through school. He's like, I gotta be able to get into my common room and this fucking painting keeps changing the goddamn passwords. I can't remember passwords. I'm gonna write them down. And then, oh, Neville's the kind of person who 
drops things and misplaces things. And he plays a hand in Sirius being able to get into the common room in the previous chapter. But at the same time, like, it's a mistake. It's a completely honest mistake. Neville's the perfect person to use in that regard, I think. Do you see how high my eyebrows arched? It's about how much I love Neville. I was going to sit here and just be like, okay, I'm not going to say anything. Let me look back up. Oh, 30 minutes passed. Oh, Which no, it was like two and a half, if that. Okay. Well, it's unfortunate that Neville did that. It's in his character. Perhaps, yes, he did get a little bit too much of the punishment. Okay, I was going to say something about there's something to be said for intent. But like intent also oftentimes does not matter if you go through like sexual harassment training at your job, like intent does not matter. Like if you're going to be a creepy person, you're going to get disciplined for it. You know what I mean? But I tend to agree with you, I think, and that this is in his nature. There's probably some better things that he could have done. I'm sure there's definitely some magical way around this. I wonder almost if he could have talked to McGonagall and she could have been like, oh, hey, I have this mechanism to let one of my students travel through time. Here's a piece of magic that will help you remember your fucking passwords. You know what I mean? I really agree. I think that the teachers are not rising to the occasion. And then like the howler moment. is The howler is You hard. know that his grandma is like a bigger bitch than Molly is. Well, so. she's, I mean, fucking Gran is gotta be like the most badass thing ever. Again, uh, I'm not will... saying he doesn't deserve to be punished for his mistakes. I'm, I, I think that that it's important to, you know, realize that there was a mistake made and, and that there needs to be corrective action. And maybe this isn't the right corrective action. I don't know. I don't run a fucking magical school. You mean disciplining? Yes. That one is talking, baby. Ah! That one is talking a lot. Here it is. You you done repeat. You did just some Sarah Price repeating up in there. <laughs> oh, right Sarah, we love you. He needs to calm the hell down. I just said I so, loved someone. Don't tell me to I, calm that's, down. No, that's not why I'm telling you to calm down. I need to also just mention. I did not just call Molly a bitch. A bitch is a very positive thing. Have a you bitch, met us? <laughs> as Latrice Royale says, a bitch means being in total control of herself. I love it. Himself. So that means that Grandma Neville, Grandma, Grandma Neville, Grandma Longbottom, Grandma Longbottom is totally in control of herself, despite what she may look like. I mean, she chooses to look like that. So you know what? She uh, she wearing that hat with pride. Put the vulture oh, on yes. your head. We're gonna move away from the Longbottoms now for a little bit. I love when we talk uh, about the Longbottoms. But really, you do yes. I know? I know. I already made this joke, but Tara would bottom long for long and So now it's going to talk about the letter that Hagrid writes. Yes. Oh, also, I just wanted to make a point. And I already said it in my thing, but Hedwig eats Neville's cornflakes, and I like that. <laughs> and that is not a dirty joke. <laughs> On Hagrid's letter, yes. So I. There are so many important parts of this whole scene that I really enjoy with Hagrid. And hey, we haven't talked about growth in a minute because we've been too busy talking about failure and fear. <laughs> so I'm going to get back to growth. And like this is one of those moments where you really see Hagrid kind of settling into his professorness. Because in his letter, first of all, he's like, don't you dare come down here by yourself. You're not allowed to do that. I'm going to come get you. So that's number one. I love then, that. I love Hedwig, or Hagrid and his like... <laughs> I love Hagrid, Hermione, Hogwarts. Her, you get through like half the characters. 
Okay. I do this too. There's too many H names. There if there's one criticism, too many H names. But I was talking about how much I love Hagrid and yes. I love when Hagrid is trying to be a responsible adult. And well, in this moment, I feel like he succeeds. He is going through some stress with this whole inquest thing on Buckbeak. He calls them down. And the reason for calling them down is to be like, y'all need to be nice to Hermione. Because Hermione's going through it too. And she does not deserve the bullshit that you are giving. So the fact that she even includes this. And like, I think this is also kind of bringing up the other side plot other than Quidditch. And that is Buckbeak. Because Buckbeak is very important in this book. And in life, period. It's important to remember that, hey, this is something else that is happening. So this entire scene and the fact that he invites them for tea and does it in a friendly way, but also a teacherly way, Hagrid does it completely right. There are many times when Hagrid makes some poor decisions, (laughs) but this is not one of those decisions. And in my summary, I mentioned how this is kind of like the Norbert chapter because it really frustrated me how many people were doing things. In the Norbert chapter, I was frustrated with Hagrid. Not this chapter. Ron is still being a piece of shit. This person who is now not only your friend, but also your professor is telling you, hey, you need to like lay off a little bit. She's the one who's been helping me. And Ron is still like, no, Mr. Poopy Pants. He navigates through dealing with teenagers so well here. Poor Hagrid really has had no one to kind of guide him on how to even do that he points out to them that Hermione has been this wonderful guide for him through this process with Buckbeak and how wonderful she's been and he he lectures them and he's like thought her your friendship was more important than broomsticks and rats or whatever he says he doesn't just go you guys are fucking terrible like I kind of want to do He's very diplomatic. On the flip side of that, too, like Ron's reaction immediately at that is still about like, no, her cat did this. Yes. It's the same thing I said in the last episode of like, it's not, oh, my rat is dead. It's still anger at Hermione. And then later we see this little moment, I think, when they're going back up to the castle of Crookshanks. And it kind of rubs salt in the wound, like... Harry is thinking that it's the Grimm again. Yes. Because we actually haven't seen that for a while. So it's important to bring it up here again, but it's like, man, why did it have to be Crookshanks, you know? Because that is all that is, like, enveloping Ron in this moment. I think you're right. I think that it's not necessarily intended to be this way, but I think that actually a good indicator of how dangerous it is to be so obsessed with the idea of being right. And that is Ron's biggest problem in this book. It's a dangerous place to be in where you're focusing so much on, well, I'm right about this versus I have to think about it and analyze it and look at all of the different options. I think that's the crux of it. Like, even in your drunken stupor, you got to it. I am very drunk. I know, and I think that they know, too. But I think that made sense. I think that was, like, the most sense I've ever made very drunk. Well, you did, but you kind of talked about it four times in a row, but... (laughs) Well, it's a good thing you edit this shit. I love you. That's right. So, uh, listeners, be thankful for me, too. They love you. You're You're amazing. That you didn't have to listen to that like I did. Okay. But 
I think you're right that I think it's that he thinks that he's always right, which is not something that he's used to doing. He has some moments where he is, but this is a weird battle to pick. So after they go back up to the castle, there is this little thing of like, hey, Hogsmeade is coming back up. Are you going to come? And Hermione is like, you better not. I'm going to tell McGuh. And Ron's like, okay, sure, Jan. And Harry's like, I'll make something work. There's this little moment where he runs into Neville and then he runs into Snape, whatever. It's a little plot device to make you think, of course, that he's not going to make it to Hogsmeade. But eventually he gets back to the one-eyed bitch and he goes through the tunnel and meets up with Ron. Which seems like it's going to be a good old fucking time, but you fuck it up, Harry. This trip to Hogsmeade does not seem as exciting. And it's written that way. You know, we don't get the detail of Zonko's quite to the level that we do of Honeydukes. Yeah. There is a little bit of that in terms of Harry has to, like, carefully tell Ron what he wants from Zonko's. And we get just a tad bit of detail about some of their products and everything, but it's kind of glazed over. The main thing that we get here is when they're looking at the shrinking shack and then Draco and his goonies come up. The part of me that's very immature, which is 97.6% of me loves that Harry and Ron get to have this moment where Harry is fucking throwing mud at these fucking assholes and Ron gets to be there for it and all of that. But then there's like that tiny bit of maturity in me, which is very tiny. It's like 0.6%. That does not add up to 100, honey. (laughs) Okay, well, someone do the math and make that add up to 100. But what I'm trying to say is, have you ever, like, rewatched a movie or reread the series and there's, like, this part that just makes you uncomfortable because you know it's going to end badly for the person you're reading about? This is one of the moments in this series that I just go, oh, shit, Harry. This is actually one of the most uncomfortable moments of the series for me up to this point it's a little bit more cringeworthy and like this is in the movie but it's not in this chapter in the movie because we've it's already happened in the movie so i'm going to talk about it now previously when they went to the one hogsmeade trip it happened in the snow which i think part of the decision for that was it's a lot easier for him to throw snowballs than mud at these kids so yeah we're gonna make it happen at christmas time And in the movie, I think it's a lot more innocent in the way that it's portrayed. There isn't kind of the feeling of danger happening here. But here, too, it is a little bit more authentic to their personalities in that, okay, Ron (laughs) is being bullied by these kids. He does not have his friends with him, which is a rare opportunity, I think, for Draco and his goonies. Of course, Harry is there to kind of stick up for him and kind of get back. But it's a little bit cringeworthy, like you said. We're not to the movie part, but I think my point here is the way that they did it in the movie, unlike that other cringeworthy moment that we've already talked about where he's like, my parents were dead, and he screams it. (laughs) Yeah, This, I feel like, is a little bit more seamless in the way that they do present it in the movie, because it doesn't have that cringeworthy nature to it. And I think it's easier to film. Immediately after this, and when they kind of run away, because, like, what else is it? There's no other magic here that is gonna let Ron conjure Harry's floating head. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think it's important that this happens, and 
the realization between Harry and Ron that Harry is like, I have zero other choices other than getting the fuck back to Hogwarts. It's also kind of like, you know, not everything is clean and good. He he gets it until it's fucked up, which is really just indicative of life. At the end of it in the book, he does kind of get out of it. Also in the book, something that is not shown in the movie is how he gets back at them in the previous chapter, too. Mm -hmm. So there is a little bit of a checks and balances there. Speaking of what comes out of all of this, he rushes back through the hidden door in Honeydukes. He luckily drops his invisibility cloak and then comes out of the one-eyed bitch. It's almost like Snape is waiting for him. I touched on it briefly in my summary in that like, okay, how did Draco get back so fast? But Ron is like out of breath when he gets to Snape's office. Mm -hmm. However, at the same time, did Draco also just run back to Hogwarts from Hogsmeade? Are there not prefects and chaperones with him at that point? If all this attention is on Harry, why isn't it that, hey, Draco's like, I need to go back to Hogwarts. Why doesn't he go to someone and be like, hey, it's time for me to go back. Perhaps the answer here is that it's Draco and he just does whatever the fuck he wants and he doesn't care. And like, even if he did it and goes to Snape, Snape isn't going to discipline him, you know? And then there's this moment that Harry has with Snape in his office. And like I said in my summary, this is an opportunity for him to be like, hey, you got caught, detention, that's it. However, even before he turns out his pockets and they do the revealing spell on the map, he takes this as an opportunity to be like, oh, you're strutting. You are very arrogant, just like your father was. And it's one of those moments again where it's like, you got to be a teacher. Takes things a little bit too personal over being professional. And this is why this chapter is called this instead of everything else, because there's a lot of other action that happens in this chapter. Are you inherent? Keep going. What? I, okay, listeners, I'm Zoom. Tara is like grinning ear to ear. She's ready. She's ready to talk about Snape. <laughs> okay, you can say your piece, but you got what's fair? 30 seconds, 45 seconds. I'm gonna say 45 seconds. You ready? I'm sure. gonna give you thumbs up. Okay. Ready? Go. Okay, listen. You are 10,000% correct about everything you have said. It is absolutely ridiculous that he has an opportunity to discipline this child who has done something wrong, by the way. And he's like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like, you strutting like your dad. You know very well that this child has never met his father. You are a piece of shit. Do not talk to him like that. If you want to talk to him like that, because he is, you know fucking up and he deserves to be disciplined how about you start with you know i will fucking figure this out harry potter you suck the end but no he makes it a dad okay but earlier you were like you can't do this in three minutes and you gave me 45 seconds and i was literally at 47 seconds so you were not by the time on zencaster you just gave yourself two extra seconds this is not your math episode. <laughs> Honey, no episode is my math episode. I don't math. I know, I know. Here's the thing. Both of us, I think, are on the same page here. He takes this moment as an opportunity to hold the grudge instead of disciplining Harry. 
Exactly. When he does get to the disciplinary part where he's like, turn out your pockets. Luckily, he only has the Zonko products and the map. Mm -hmm. What's very interesting to me is that he does his whole thing with the map and the map is very funny and is like, oh, Snape is a greasy piece of shit. (laughs) The first thing thing he does is is not be like what the fuck harry you are grounded or <laughs> because snape grounds harry and this guy loves so much i'm catching up to tara tara is like in the distance though i can't even see that bitch she's like pumping her fist in there she's like yeah i win I be- yeah i win i'm really- the drunkest Tara is going to fuck the Ford Anglia tonight if you catch my drift. Tara's going to fall asleep as soon as this fucking episode is recorded. You, no, she's not. you got to eat some of that pizza, Natalie. I know I have to eat some pizza. Natalie will be so disappointed. You better. <laughs> Anyways, instead of doing that, he immediately, like immediately is like, hang on. And he goes up to the fireplace. It makes you think that he's going to throw the map in the fire. But he's like, hey, Lupin. Like, okay, we didn't know we didn't know this about the flu network, that it was also like a telephone. So Lupin comes through and he's like, what up? Snape's like, look at this. It's dark magic. And Lupin is like, you know what? It's not dark magic. It's a Zonko product, beach. And Snape is like, I think the fuck knock you trick bass bitch. And he's like, excuse me. I'm the defense against the dark arts professor. Isn't that why you called me here? I'm going to take this away. Harry, come with me. I think it's really, really clever that JK put in this little note here that Snape knows who Mooney and Padfoot and Prongs and the other one that we don't care about is you look shocked. I'm just so glad that you said that. That's literally everything I was about to say. When you look shocked, at first I was like, oh my god, did I say Wormtail by accident? It's very interesting that he says that because it's clear to Snape based on his bullying days that he knows that about those four people. Which is Furthermore, interesting to me because now I kind of almost want to go back and see, like, are there moments where there was any sort of alluding to one of those characters in front of Snape? Like, the Grim thing. Like, would yeah. Snape have been able to be like, wait a minute, Sirius Black is a big black dog that looks like the Grim. Hey, Harry, you're cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. And then Lupin is very quick thinking in this moment. Like, there's. Something in the book along the lines of Lupin's looking like he's looking at Harry and you can tell through his eyes that he's like, don't say anything, bitch. I got this. We see Lupin as a professor. We see Lupin as a mentor to Harry. We see Lupin as a parental figure to Harry. This is a reminder that Lupin was also a teenage boy, but part of this creation of the Marauder's Map. He's also covering his own ass. The funny thing is, Snape knows that it's him thing is, is he's not covering his own ass to snape he's covering his ass to harry yep going back to snape snape doesn't mind saying all this stuff to harry about his father but snape also doesn't get the opportunity because my thought is that snape would have no qualms if he's willing to say all of that about james to harry snape doesn't get the opportunity to be like bitch you're mooney Because this is another, like, unprofessional moment. You should not be saying this to this child. There's nobody here to hear you say it. I almost wonder if it's like, now this is a colleague that Dumbledore clearly trusts. You know, like, that 
feeling where you're just like, I can't prove this, but I know. That's literally the place that Snape is occupying at this moment. That whole scene is very complex because it really does reveal a lot of different information. Ron comes in, he interrupts it, and it's like, I gave him all those uncle products. And then that is where Lupin kind of takes them both away. And Lupin then says, basically, hey, you shouldn't be with this. I knew know who created this. I'm taking this bahos. I think this is one of these moments where I really connect with Lupin in this place of him being kind of caught between the teenager that he was with Peter and Sirius and James and the adult that he is now as literally feeling like he's the only person to guide Harry. My heart really sits with him in this moment. It's interesting because it is kind of a parallel between Hagrid's moment earlier, where he's a friend of these kids, but he's like, I'm a teacher. I got to do what I need to do. So that is kind of clever, but I agree. I think that it shows what an upstanding person that Lupin is and the struggles that he has to kind of go through. After they kind of get lectured by Lupin, they go back to the Gryffindor common room. And this is where Hermione tells them, and she's kind of in tears and stuff. And some of the stuff about Scabbers and Crookshanks is being dug back up. She then says Hagrid lost the inquiry. Yes. Harry is like, what if she had told Professor McGonagall that that he had gone to Hogsmeade? It's worse than that because Hermione is like, no, Hagrid lost his appeal book. Beaky's going to be executed. And that's how the chapter ends. And it makes me sad. But Buckbeak will get out of this. I feel confident because I know what happened. Okay. Fuck Mary Kill. (laughs) What I'm choosing here, because this is a pivotal scene where not the trio in this case, but in past books, they go down to meet Hagrid and Hagrid gives them something to eat. So these are the three things that Hagrid fed to members of the trio during their visits. Fuck, Mary kill, rock cakes, treacle fudge, and bath buns. What, I'm sorry, what was the last one? Bath buns. Okay, I don't know what those are, so they die. Okay, you're making a big mistake. Hang on. Wait, what are they? Because I noticed this very little detail, and I googled it, and it seems like... Hang on, I gotta google it again right now, because I'm also drunk. (laughs) Listeners, don't get confused. I'm not as drunk as Tara, trust me. I mean, I'm pretty there, but... But not as much as her, and I need this. Let me tell you something. I need this. This is full circle we're alcoholics right now anyways bath buns the bath bun is a sweet roll made from a milk-based yeast dough with crushed sugar sprinkled on top after baking variations in ingredients include enclosing a lump of sugar in the bun or adding candied fruit peel currants raisins or sultanas ew raisins are gross can you give me those options again reading that made me think of the great british bake-off Listeners, if you're stressed, please go on Netflix and watch The Great British Bake Off. It's good times. It will calm you the fuck down. Also, The Great British Bake Off, sponsor us. Okay, well. Three options are rock cakes, treacle fudge, and bath bombs. I'm gonna fucking kill rock cakes because die. There we go. Okay, and I'm gonna fuck those buns because that sounds great and I would have Sarah almost wants to fuck some buns 
I'm gonna marry that treacle fudge. The end. You're gonna marry treacle fudge? Yeah, because I'm fucking I mean, those buns. Okay, it's funnier for you to fuck the buns, so I get it. What's what's your answer? Those bath buns sound perfect. And the pictures look pretty amazing as well. So there's like one picture and there's some like <laughs> blueberries occurrence or something. Ew, stop talking about blueberries and raisins and shit. That's gross. You need to calm the fuck down. Would you rather break your teeth on one of the other two? Raisins? That, okay. That's why you're fucking the bath buns. Because you would break your teeth on either of the other two. And everybody knows that vaginas have teeth. So. <laughs> I get you. I understand. But. I'm going to marry the bath bun. Coming from Hagrid, his baking isn't necessarily the most fluffy and moist. I'm sorry if you don't like that word, but I said it just now. The bath bun seems like top tier, so I'm going to marry the bath bun. I'm going to probably fuck... What is the lesser of the two evils? I think the treacle fudge is probably the lesser of the two. Yeah, because rock cakes are terrible. Rock cakes sound like they break your teeth. My teeth are interrupted. You need to stop interrupting me, drunk Tara. (laughs) Fucking treacle fudge just cements your teeth together, not breaks them. The fucking rock cakes breaks your teeth. I don't fuck with that. I paid a lot. Not me. I didn't pay shit. My parents paid a lot of money on my braces. Those things were painful. I don't want to break my teeth. Sometimes I'm sure I could probably have them cemented shut because, you know, I'm a loud and opinionated hoe. So I'm going to fuck the treacle fudge and kill the rock cakes. Let's talk about the movie, goddammit. The movie is fun. It's, it's different. It's almost non-existent in this chapter too. The difference in the movie is we go straight into this scene of, speaking of rocks, Hagrid is skipping stones on the lake and he's like, but has been sentenced to death. So we're like already way ahead. And we're also sad because Buckbeak is fucking great. That's right. So we don't see any of the buildup coming into the Inquisition. No. Straight from that, there's the scene that I kind of referenced in the last episode where Ron is having a nightmare. He wakes up. Harry's looking at him. He's looking at the Marauder's map. He's like, yeah, you get that whatever the fuck you were talking about. Talking about spiders, spiders, I think. Whatever, yeah. You get those spiders and Ron's like, okay. He goes back to bed. And then that's when Harry sees in the Marauder's map Peter Pettigrew going through the castle. Then he follows the map to where Peter Pettigrew is. The paintings are yelling at him, being like, put that light out, I'm sleeping. He sees the little figure of Pettigrew on the map and kind of going around him. And once Pettigrew passes, Snape comes up, and that's when this scene unfolds. And it's pretty true to what happens in the book. There's even the lines about, like, oh, your father was always strutting around the castle. And Harry's like, my father didn't strut, nor did I, which is right out of the book. He asks him to turn out his pockets. He does a little spell on the Marauder's map. Marauder's map is like, you're greasy fucks. Leave us alone. This is where Snape is kind of like, why you little blah, blah, blah. He doesn't recognize the names Mooney Padfoot 
prongs and the other motherfucker. At that moment exactly, that's when Lupin just kind of is there. He just kind of comes out of the darkness and saves Harry and then takes him into the room and is like, I'm surprised you didn't turn this in. And then Harry says something back like, well, I don't think it really works well because someone on that map that I know to be dead was being seen. And Lupin is like, who? And Harry's like, Peter Pettigrew. And Lupin's like, that's not possible. And seen. So I really actually love that they push forward the plot with that. In the book, obviously that doesn't work. But I kind of forgot about the fact that Harry telling Lupin, I know Peter Pettigrew is dead and I saw him on the Marauder's map, is actually not a plot point in the book. I think that they do a really good job of putting this together, pushing forward the plot. It really does a good job of taking this book, which is way longer than the movie, and you have to cut so much out of it to really establish the characterization of where Lupin goes after this. I agree. I like this chapter in the movie a lot. I think that the way that they included almost the entire chapter in the movie, they just kind of spliced it here and there. Obviously, the moment that they have with Malfoy earlier on, that happens when it happens, and then all this other stuff happens in the middle. I also think it is consistent with how Harry has been portrayed in the movies thus far. Mm-hmm. He sees the name on the map, and he's like, well, I'm going to go look at it. It gives me Mirror of Erised vibes. And I do like the way that they incorporate the map seeing peter pettigrew in this moment i'm surprised that it's not in the book because it feels like a natural thing to kind of include so even though there's been all these like cuts and pastes and splices of how the book fits into the movie this is where it makes sense for me the more i watch this movie the more i recognize how well the story is told just in a different way ultimately i'm gonna give this an a minus i like it i gotta admire the way that they kind of make it work in the end I'm going to give plus 20 to Hagrid. Like I mentioned earlier, is the winner of this chapter for me. I think he does, has a really great teaching moment. Lupin also does too. I think, like you said, kind of the tugging of Lupin from his past to his present, his like teenager days to his teacher is not to be ignored. And he does it in a really great way. So I'm giving 15 to Lupin. I'm giving 10 to Hermione because in the background, Hermione is operating in this situation where she's in over her head. I think she knows that she's over her head and she's still going out of her way to help Hagrid. She is kind of getting the cold shoulder from Ron and a little bit from Harry too. Not as much, but that's still present there. She's under a lot of pressure. I've mentioned in the past how Chamber of Singrets was kind of Ron's moment to shine. This book is Hermione's moment to shine. And in this moment, she's still in the background. So I'm giving 10 to Hermione. And I'm giving 5 to Neville because I took 5 away in the last episode. I feel bad for him now. So he's gone through enough. I'm not going to have any point exchanges when everything evens out. So plus 5 to Neville. I'm taking 15 away from Snape. This is another moment of him being unprofessional. He should just be like, I'm a teacher. You done bad. I'm going to give you detention. Sorry about it, but not sorry, because that's my job. Instead, he decides to be 
um, vindictive and hold that grudge against his father. Then negative 10 <laughs> to Draco because he shouldn't have been making fun of them in the first place. And I didn't take anything away from him in the last episode, so now I'm taking away from him now. And of course, I'm taking 10 away from Ron because he's still being a big dick and isn't going to drop this shit. My final tallies for this episode are plus 20 to Hagrid, plus 15 to Lupin, plus 10 to Hermione, plus 5 to Neville, negative 10 from Ron, negative 10 from Draco, and negative 15 from Snake. I love it so much. Okay, so listen. This episode was great. I love you so much. You're my favorite. I gotta pee. Oh, I don't doubt it, honey. You also need to eat pizza. I'm gonna go Please eat some pizza. Eat some pizza. Ladies and gentlemen, both of us are kind of drunk right now. What? So I don't know how this is going to come out in the wash after I edit it. But, but love us anyway, because we cute. We both got to that point. Hey, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're just trying to make things prettier, I guess. <laughs> Please don't call Alcoholics Anonymous. Love okay. you. Love you too. Next time we're going to read chapter... Fifth. We're finally going to read chapter 15 like you wanted oh, to thank for you. this. Quidditch final. Oh, we're back to Quidditch. Oh, That's right. right. We get Quidditch in this book. That's right. Not in this movie. You ain't no, gonna see I that again. Movie. I just hope next time I don't have to do a summary for another long ass chapter. You're probably gonna because that's how this shit works. What's chapter 16? What? I don't know. Is this gonna be? Uh, You're the one with the book. I ain't got that Uh, at my fingertips. Professor Trelawney's prediction. Oh, there we go. That sounds... It's a long chapter because that's how your life works. Love you. Probably, but it's about Trelawney and you all know how I I know you'll be happy. So So anyway, BS listeners, you love us. Good night. <laughs> she didn't call you bullshit. The name of the podcast is Basic Snitches. Yes. Don't drink and drive or drive because there's nothing for you do to do that. anyway. Don't drive anywhere. That's right. Don't go to the grocery store unless you need groceries. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch Catch you later, snitches. snitches!